Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is Day 7. Today we will be reading Book 2, Chapters 8 through 10 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we are covering today. So in the last episode, we talked a little bit about St. Augustine's theft of the pears. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive on his theft as he kind of wraps up his meditations. And I'll also make reference to the communal dimension of sin. So he's like, Do we sin because of pressure or coercion or bad company? Or in what way might our sin be attributable to the people with whom we live our Christian lives? So, yeah, we're going to think about that together. Let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 8. But what fruit did I, O wretched man that I was, seek in those things, which now bring such shame upon remembrance? See Romans 6.21. In particular, what did I seek in that theft, which I loved for theft's own sake? And it too was nothing, and thus was I all the more miserable. Yet I would not do it alone. As I now remember, I never was then someone to do such things alone. Therefore, did I also love in this deed the company of my accomplices with whom I did it? No, I loved nothing other than the theft, for the particular circumstance of having company and doing it was nothing. What is this in truth? Who can teach me except him who enlightens my heart and uncovers its dark corners? What has come into my mind to inquire into, discuss, and consider? For had I then loved the pears that I stole and wished to enjoy them, I might have done so alone had the mere commission of the theft sufficed for me to feel pleasure. Nor did I need to have the itching of my desires inflamed by the excitement of accomplices. But since my pleasure was not in those pears, it was in the offense itself, for which the company of fellow sinners furnished an occasion for doing the deed. 9. What then was this feeling? Without a doubt, it was too foul, and woe upon me who felt it. But what was it? What man can understand his errors? See Psalm 19.12. It was the sport which, as it were, tickled our hearts, that we deceived those who did not know we were doing this, though they much disliked it. Why then did my delight involve my not doing this alone? Because nobody ordinarily laughs alone? Ordinarily, yes, this is true for all. However, laughter sometimes does overtake men alone and by themselves when nobody at all is with them, if something very ludicrous comes to their imagination or mind. Yet I had not done this alone, no, never. Behold, my God, before your sight, the vivid recollection of my soul. Never alone did I commit that theft in which I was not pleased with what I stole, but rather with the very fact that I was stealing. 
but my pleasure was only found in having company in this theft, and I would not have done it alone. O oh, friendship that was all too unfriendly, you incomprehensible tempter of the soul, you greedy appetite for mischief committed out of mirth and wantonness, you thirst for others' loss without lust for my own gain or revenge. But when the words are spoken, let's go and do it, we are ashamed not to be shameless. 10. Who can disentangle so twisted and intricate a knot? It is foul. I hate to think of it or to look upon it. But for you I long, O righteousness and innocence, beautiful and comely to all pure eyes, giving satiety that can never be fully sated. With you is complete rest and imperturbable life. Whoever enters into you enters into the joy of his Lord. See Matthew 25, 21. He shall feel no fear and shall be excellent in the all-excellent one. During these days of my youth, I sank away from you and wandered, O oh my God, too far astray from your own steadfastness, and I became for myself a barren land. Okay, so in this particular section, uh, these assigned chapters of book two, St. Augustine is going to continue to ask about why he stole, and we, you know, we discussed that at length in the last episode. Uh, but here he entertains the possibility that it was for the company's sake. But he says, you know, maybe that's not it because I might have done it alone. But still, maybe I did it because I wanted to boast about it. And even if I hadn't done it, if I had boasted about it, that might have provided the, you know, the kind of upbuilding that I was looking for. But I think it raises for us an interesting, you know, kind of consideration, which is the communal dimensions of sin. So certainly, we're always personally responsible for sin. So you can't just say like, it's the system or it's the society or it's the whatever, and then use that as an excuse to not take responsibility. But it is true that, you know, the company that we keep, the people with whom we live, the society in which we, you know, find ourselves citizens, that also has a part to play. Um, so yeah, like, how do you think through those considerations and kind of like grow beyond their limitations or heal in the midst of them. So that way we're not wholly defined by the company that we keep or by the society in which we feel ourselves trapped. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, the society and you can't really escape society. I guess you could go off grid, but at least personal company, you know, friends and that sort of thing. Sometimes I hear people in conversation or elsewhere talk about, I, I especially with respect to like witnessing or like a failure to witness to the gospel, you know, a weakness there of, you know, when we hear someone saying this or that or the other, and then like, we don't respond, you know, to, to defend the truth. But sometimes the question comes to my mind, it's like, if these people espouse and believe X, Y, and Z, then why are you spending time with them? Uh, often the issues of like abortion or like these kind of things come to mind. And can we talk to people who mistakenly support that? Yeah, but like the, the people with whom we spend our lives and time and that sort of thing influence who we are and, and what we do and what we say and how we think. And we can't, as Father Gregory was saying, use that as an excuse for our inaction or actions, you know, whether they're good or bad. Um, but we have to take stock of um, not only what we surround our lives with, but who we surround our lives with. And we'll see this reflection in, in the confessions as we continue to read in St. Augustine's relationships with various people. So I guess this sort of communal reality of, of sin is also just the reality of us being communal beings that we need each other and that these things have real influence on our lives. Yeah. I think there's always like a familial and a social and a political setting for human life and 
our actions as human beings. And I think, you know, it's it's tough, especially like in the 21st century, maybe not especially in the 21st century, but I'm thinking of the 21st century because we're in the 21st century. And if the society and the polity tells you, you know, like chastity isn't possible, you need to express yourself sexually and you need to find, you know, like the self-identification, which will facilitate that, you know, like it, it becomes hard for you to envision a holy life because it's just not part of the conversation. And if no one's talking about it, you begin to think like maybe it doesn't exist. And so in St. Augustine's case, you know, he's living with men and he's maybe encouraging them to become worse or they're encouraging him to become worse, but the general slide is is down. And so we need to find ways in our own Christian lives to, to raise the tone or to at least admit to the conversation the types of, you know, subjects, topics that the Lord wants to introduce, which doesn't mean that like we're always trying to be like, well, what are your thoughts about the third secret of Fatima? Because, okay, maybe that's not the time and place to talk about the third secret of Fatima, wherever we are. But I do think that, you know, without becoming, yeah, like a kind of bore or without becoming a kind of stick in the mud, we want to be able to like pose an invitation to other people so that in our company, they can flourish. And when I think about, you know, friendship, friends are able to coax the good out of each other without being patronizing or without being condescending or like artificial. And yet to do that for us means becoming a kind of moral virtuoso in the familial and social and political setting, which means that we, you know, we're going to invest in our Christian formation. So yeah, I think that that's one of the precious gifts that we have in religious life is that we're trying to cultivate an environment in which it's it's genuinely edifying. But that's something that, you know, people can find in their own time and place and personal context. So yeah, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, there's this sort of reality to seeing our actions and what we do either from is from a sort of objective standpoint whether that's with time and hindsight or just yeah taking a step away to assess what's going on and we see that St Augustine is doing that at least with respect to time now because he's he's writing his confessions later in life and reflecting on what's happened sometimes i guess what i'm saying is that sometimes it's hard in the moment often it's hard in the moment to give a sort of assessment of what we're doing why we're doing it with whom we're doing things um unless we're able to take a step back and say okay this is this is what i'm doing in my life and who I'm including in my life and the actions and and kind of the trajectory of my life. And St. Augustine does this here in, in, in these pages by reflecting on the reality that um, his understanding of why he sinned or the reality of his sin only comes to bear in the light of, of Christ, that it's only um, the sort of ramifications of sin and the healing from that only comes from the reality that the light of Christ shines and as we've talked about, chases out that sin. So I guess for those of us and St. Augustine who at the time, or, you know, if somebody's trapped in sin, we can see the difficulty there of recognizing that, ah, oh, what I'm doing is wrong or evil or not good. But the reality is that Christ's grace and is always moving to like poke in, you know, to shine a bit of light, to start that, that movement of conversion. And this is what St. Augustine is showing us in these pages a bit, I guess. And I think, too, that, um, you know, for St. Augustine, he's very conscious of his vanity that we've made mention of at this point already. So he knows that there can be a kind of emptiness to some of his actions if you just uh, judge it in light of the company he keeps. So he doesn't have a strong interior drive for whatever it is, but that he's with these people or that there are these social or political expectations. He then finds himself in a situation where he's performing whatever action. And I think that that's 
I mean, that's that's not foreign to our own experience or that's something that we can sympathize with at a certain level. And I was thinking about this, you know, like in the workplace, sometimes you fall into gossip or in the parish setting. Sometimes you just fall into weather-worn habits of complaining about the hierarchy or whatever it is. I was thinking about one instance is for a younger generation, I think many of us have to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And is it just for posting on social media? Like, I think a lot of people, they kind of curate an experience of life and they photograph it, you know, take pictures of it. So that way they can show it to other people. So that way it can, whatever, get likes and get shares and ultimately get a certain validation or estimation by their contemporaries. But if you're doing something to be shared, you you begin to feel kind of empty. Uh, because it's like, all right, what's at the heart here or what's at the center or with whom am I in relationship and how is that genuinely filling my life or am I just kind of faking relationships so that way I can bandy them about. And um, yeah, I think that that when we have that experience of emptiness, that experience of vanity, whether it be late in the day and we're too exhausted to do anything of worth, but we can't yet fall asleep because we're you know, too distracted or, you know, that, that'll just come home to roost. And it's in those moments where we can really entrust ourselves to God and say, you know, where are you who permit this? And, and where are you who will draw me forth from this? So yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, it's a good question to, to ask and probably perhaps at the heart of, of what St. Augustine is getting at with the theft of the pair, the mystery of iniquity is um, with whom or with what am I in relationship you know, with whom or what am I engaging? It can be something as, you know, ridiculous if we think about it as social media. You know, if that's my prime relationship, then then there's something off. If my prime relationship is is found in a sort of community or a group of people that is less than virtuous or that sort of, you know, but like what is what is my heart after and where am I setting it so as to pursue those things that my heart is after and what am I setting myself up for with the choices that I make in my life and they're not negligible questions and you know we see it alive and well in St. Augustine's life and his reflection but also we shouldn't we shouldn't just read or listen and and sort of stop there they're questions worth asking of our of ourselves you know what am I in relationship with yeah Because as you've heard it said, you are what you eat from your head to your feet. So too, in the Christian life or in the human life, you are what you, you know, what you love. You are just like the people with whom you have relationships, family, friends, you know, society, polity, you know, church or parish community or, you know, chaplaincy in the setting of your campus, whatever it might be. But you become like those with whom you live. You draw from their strengths. You draw from their weaknesses. And, you know, we attempt, like we say often, to go to God together. So that's the hope with this year podcast, that in our conversations, we might do just that, profit from the experience of St. Augustine, and go to God together on the coattails of his grace. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.